Hello, dear friends and partners. Jesse Schreck with Practical Missions Cohort. Today we have a special episode. This is a sermon that was preached for our brothers and sisters in Christ at the New Life Church in Vicenza. These are folks serving uh, the U.S. military here in the country of Italy at the base. And uh, wonderful brothers and sisters, appreciate them very much. And during this time, during this season, we've been worshiping together on the Lord's Day morning. And uh, on occasion as well, helping to serve them by bringing them the Word of God. And currently we're going through the Gospel of Mark. And we looked this morning at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to chapter 3, verses 6, and we take a look into Jesus' ministry when he's being observed, being accused, uh, when he gets angry, with a righteous anger, when he's grieved, and what grieves him, and we see him show himself to be God. And uh, then we also look in this message at four exhortations for all of us who want to live worthy of the call that Jesus Christ has given us. God bless you as you tune in. Good morning, everybody. We're continuing... uh The series on the Gospel of Mark will be in chapter 2. We're going to finish uh, chapter 2 and then move into chapter 3. So we'll be looking at verses 23 up until uh, verse 6 of the third chapter. Anybody here uh, in the last few days felt the need for more rest? Just out of curiosity. Anybody felt the need for more rest? I think just the idea of this red zone makes us realize we need some rest. We need rest from the red zone and all this kind of nonsense. Um, We're going to actually look at rest a little bit today in this discussion as we consider the Sabbath and and what that's about, why we have that, uh, and how Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, So hopefully we'll find some refreshment and some rest for our souls today as we hear the Word of God and we we ponder uh, what it means to have that Sabbath rest within us. Uh, so that no matter where we are or what we're going through, uh, we can experience that rest. And it's a funny thing. I was talking with uh, Mike uh, two nights ago. In the middle of the night, our son came over to our bed, and he, he, he kinda like the, he's like the king of the house. That's in his mind. You know? So he lays down, and he just he kind of takes over to bed. And us parents, we're gracious, we're kind, so we, we give room to the kids. And, and I found myself like on the very edge of the bed. My head was actually resting on the, the little uh, comodino, the little uh, nightstand next to the bed. And I hit my head twice, and I'm like, good night, what's going on? And the whole, all, all day yesterday, I had this big knot in my back, and, and I could barely move my neck. And uh, I took some uh, melatonin last night, fell asleep, slept real good. He came over to the bed again, and I t- went over to his bed and took over his bed. I slept really good last night. So I experienced some of that rest that we all need. But I was very much aware, rest is something we all need. And it also came to mind while I was taking a shower this morning. That happens sometimes when you're about to preach in the morning. Things come to mind in the shower. And I remembered verses in Revelation about uh, what, what the, the condemned, those who are in hell, what they experience. There's torment, there's this, there's that. But one thing that came to mind was also the reality there is no rest for those who are in hell. For those who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, who have not repented of their sins, trusted in Christ for their salvation. One thing they experience that is absolutely terrible is no rest. But as we see today, we're reminded we have rest, and we have it now, and we'll have it forever, and it really is a wonderful thing. Rest is something, it's, it's strange though, because we all want rest, we need rest, but we stay up really late, and then we get up too early, and we never really get the rest we need, but we do have that assurance, true rest. We can know it now, and we'll know it also for eternity, especially uh, in, the, in the afterlife, when, when Christ returns, we'll know that real rest. Uh, but yeah, today we're going to look at Jesus' ministry again. We're entering in here to his ministry in the Gospel of Mark as uh, told to us by Mark. Uh, we're going to see how Jesus was observed by people. We're going to see how Jesus was accused, wrongly accused by people. 
And then we're going to see how Jesus reacts and he gets angry. Our Lord actually got angry, a righteous anger, and how he was grieved. We're going to see what grieved Jesus Christ today. And then lastly, we'll also see how he shows himself, Jesus, to be divine, to be God, the Lord of the Sabbath. And as we close today then, we're going to look at four exhortations that I pray will be helpful for us, for us to live worthy of the call that we have in Jesus Christ. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and jump into our text. Father God, we come to you this morning in a very real sense, weary, tired, and fatigued. Life is complicated, things are difficult, transitions happen, stresses are there, pandemics come, plagues, uh, all kinds of body ailments, all kinds of things weigh heavy upon us. Each of us as well is struggling to combat sin, to live a righteous and holy life unto you, Lord. We have enemies within, enemies without, uh, a world that wants to lead us astray and is pushing their agenda, news that bombards us, all kinds of things are weighing heavy on us this morning. We long to experience again that rest that only you can give us. And I pray this morning, Lord, as we read your word and, and hear your word proclaimed, that you would work in a special way to revive each and every soul in this room, to give us a new sensation or a new uh, understanding of the rest we have, where we can remain in that rest, how we can remain in that rest, and how we can spend our lives now for the glory of your name. Until that day when we look you in the face, Jesus, and know joy and rest, shalom, in, in ways we can't even comprehend right now. So do work in our midst, Holy Spirit. Transform our hearts, transform our minds, and enable me also to communicate clearly and effectively uh, from that rest that comes from within, from your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, all this we pray. Amen. Chapter 2, verse 23, Gospel of Mark. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, is the title given to this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, they watched him, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch 
out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of God for us today. Verse 23, right away we read this idea about the Sabbath in Jesus' ministry. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And uh, there's a lot that can be said here about the Sabbath. Uh, we, we see from the very beginning when God created, he created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He set this standard for how things are to be. And then the command was given, the fourth commandment, to honor the Sabbath, to rest on the Sabbath. Uh, This is something that uh, God established for the good of his people. And uh, unfortunately, as time went on, and and the Pharisees in this case, people were trying to maintain this Sabbath, let it not become something that is lost, and they created many more rules and made it actually into a burden. They took something good and made it a burden. People were scared to even lift a finger on the Sabbath. You couldn't walk more than 1,999 steps on the Sabbath. So you had to be be careful when you're traveling or moving from one place to another, counting steps. It became, in a real sense, a burden for the people, the Sabbath day. And then there's people watching to make sure you're doing it right and uh, and all this. Uh, There was a lot to that. And uh, the reality was, as Jesus points out to us here, it was designed to be a breath of fresh air, to be a time to uh, entrust all your labor, all your work, you need to do to provide for yourself. Trust it all into the Lord's hands. Remember that He's faithful. Remember that He always provides for His people. He loves them more than they can comprehend. Uh, to rest, to actually relieve, you know, be at peace. To worship, to worship rightly, to dedicate time to the things of God. Uh, this was the idea behind it. But here, uh, we'll see they have this all backwards. They lost the purpose of it. Uh, so we have Jesus with his disciples, and they're walking through the grain fields. This would not be an uncommon thing. They didn't have motor vehicles like we have today. They didn't have paved roads. It would be like in the, in the Hobbit movie where they're walking along the, the paths. <laughs> the Shire was kind of the idea. So there were paths that you would actually walk on. And there was grain fields on the side. And in this case, what do they do? Uh, as they're, as they're walking along, making uh, their travel, happens to be the Sabbath, they, they pluck heads of grain. The bare minimum of what you should eat, right? I mean, they would just take this and, and get a little powder in their hands, perhaps, a little bit of substance for their journey. Not a pleasurable food. They certainly weren't running a business here, selling, you know, bare minimum grains to people. They weren't flipping burgers, trying to put on a barbecue and make lots of money or something. Uh, they were doing the bare minimum just to survive. And, uh, and the Pharisees with their eyes on Jesus, set out already in their hearts to accuse this man, to condemn this man. And as we'll see at the end of this, uh, these episodes today, they begin their process to actually destroy him. Uh, they're set out on this, and the, they, they catch this as a way to, to put Jesus uh, on the spotlight. And the Pharisees here in verse 24, they were saying to him, they were saying to him, uh, and this caught my attention as I was reading these verses, uh, let me, let me flip over here to Proverbs chapter uh, 17. I want to read this for us. Chapter 17, verse 28. Thinking of the Pharisees saying something to Jesus, saying something to God Almighty, God in the flesh, in our midst. Uh, Proverbs 17, 28, we read this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. This is a good verse for me because I'm a silent man normally. Apart from the grace of God, I would speak to nobody. I would care about nothing. I would not be preaching the word. 
all the time. Uh, it's my occupation now. Uh, but for many, for many years, people actually thought I might have been a bit wise because I was just a quiet guy. And when I first joined in the mission, everyone's like, when are, we're waiting for Jesse to start talking. And uh, they actually thought I was wise. And in reality, I just don't have much to say unless, unless uh, God makes it that I need to. Uh, but these, these Pharisees here, had they heeded these words, they could have maybe come across as intelligent. They spoke too soon. They didn't consider. They didn't have a humble approach. And they didn't uh, think, maybe there's a reason they're gathering bread. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he is on a mission. Maybe he has... Uh, the salvation that we need, maybe we should ask a question instead of considering he's in the wrong. Maybe we should talk to him with a humble heart and find out more about what's going on here. They didn't have this approach. They spoke and showed themselves, in a real sense, to be fools. Um, side note there, but I think it's, it's something to, to, to consider. They were saying to him, they shouldn't have said anything. They should have kept quiet. They should have, if anything, asked questions. And what they say is, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Again, Jesus is being observed. He's being observed. Look, look what we see. And he said to them, so this is Jesus speaking back to them, the Word made flesh in our midst, and he's teaching them about the Word of God. Astonishing scenario, actually, this one here. Have you never read what David did? When we see these words in, in the New Testament from Jesus himself, have you never read, there's two things that should come to mind. One, he's affirming the truth of the Old Testament, the canon of Scripture. He believes in the Bible. He trusted in the Word of God. He approves what was held as the Word of God at that time, and which we still have today, as the Word of God. Jesus and the apostles quote from the Old Testament as we have it numerous, numerous times. So one, we have an affirmation from Jesus that this is the Word of God, and the second thing we can consider here is the clarity of Scripture. The doctrine of the clarity of Scripture should come to mind for us as well. It's clear. Have you not read, Jesus said? My word is clear enough that if you have a humble heart and you read it, Jesus is saying, you can understand what I want you to know. We can understand when we read Scripture, His will, who we are, who He is, how we can please Him, the faith He requires of us, how we can be saved, it's clear. And the sad thing is, in these lands where we are here, for centuries it's been taught, actually, no, you can't understand what the Word says. Leave that to the priests, the robed people. They'll read it for you and they'll tell you what you need to know. And for, uh, in, in some regions here in Italy, it was actually illegal for a time for people to open and read the Word on their own. After it became legal, they just figured, well, What's the point? There's no point. No one reads the Word of God in Italy today, and this is the, the, the scariest thing about the spiritual context of Italy today. Everyone has trusted their souls into the hands of sinful men, people who should be teaching the Word of God, but unfortunately, they're not. They're not opening up Scripture. They're not teaching it, and, and this is one reason here why the clarity of Scripture is not believed. It's assumed, sadly, that we can't understand, but God is personal. God wants to communicate to His people. He left of his, his word for a good reason. It's the best way to communicate to anybody. The written word. Now, today there's problems with texting and there's problems with uh, tweeting, I guess they call it, right? Where people can say something and it can be misunderstood, interpreted in a different way. Uh, but when we understand Scripture, when we study Scripture, we see the benefit of having the word written. We can analyze it. We can study it. We can know the context. We can put it all together systematically, see with each verse 
in God's redemptive story, how it all fits together, and we have the truths of Scripture to instruct our hearts, to instruct our minds, and to lead us to salvation. Have you never read? Good reminder. Be reading the Word, be in the Word, and know that God speaks clearly if you have a humble heart and you really want to hear from Him. He will uh, let His will be made known to you very clearly. These guys, uh, here they are, supposed to be teachers of the law. God in the flesh is in their midst. The Word made flesh. Unfortunately, their eyes are not able to see who He really is. And he tells this story here of, the, of David. He was in need. He was hungry. He entered the house of God. He ate the bread of the presence. At that time, there would have been uh, 12 loaves of bread represented each tribe of Israel. And uh, only the priests were allowed to eat it, which he even mentions here. It was lawful only for priests to eat. Uh, but, but also, we read this, this story in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. And then in, Sa- in Sa- 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 10, we see that God actually he did approve of this, of David and his people eating that bread. It was an uh, 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 acceptable thing uh, to be done. And, uh, and we also know from the, from the law that it was permissible, actually, in a travel on the Sabbath day to do something like what they were doing. It was not illegal against the law what Jesus and his disciples were actually doing. Here they were wrongly accused, not just because they wanted to take him out, but they were actually wrong about their understanding of Scripture. And this would have been a, a, a necessity and an act of mercy here to be able to take food in this way, and it was totally legit for them to do. But verse 27, he says to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And a couple things here. Our, our first point today, our first exhortation is, uh, is, is simply this. Enjoy rest. Enjoy it. It's a gift to you from God. Often when we think of the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath, which we typically do as Christians on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, it's a day of rest for us, a day of worship. Uh, since the New Testament, since the time of the church starting, they began gathering on the first day of the week, uh, reminded of uh, the Lord who rose on the first day of the week from the grave. Uh, but enjoy rest. Often we, we, we think, what can I not do on the Sabbath? I don't want to not do something. And we don't think in the right way is, what can I do on the Sabbath? God, what would you have me do? How can I worship you on the Sabbath? How can I be refreshed? How can I enjoy rest today? What can I do that would be pleasing to you on this particular day, this gift that you give me every week? Uh, So a few things come to mind for me here in this reality of enjoying rest. Number one, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for salvation. For salvation. We come to Jesus for salvation through repentance and faith. Two sides of the same coin. They go hand in hand. Every born-again person understands this. You turn from your sin. You acknowledge your sin. You go in agreement with God about your sin. And you ask God forgiveness. You trust at the same time. You embrace Jesus Christ by faith, trusting that He lived perfectly without sin for you. And then He died for you on the cross. A brutal death. Everybody was observing Jesus naked and wounded and bloody on the cross. Eyes were on him in a similar way that eyes were on him here in this grain field uh, to accuse him. But he died for you. Number one, to enjoy rest, make sure you're saved. Come to Jesus for salvation. Be saved. And, uh, and we read in Matthew eleven twenty eight the gracious words of Jesus Christ, the command of Jesus Christ, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I see your situation. I see the the red zone. I see all the other things you're going through. I see how you try in many ways to to make yourself right with God, to just be at peace. Come to me. I've done it all for you. 
I live for you. I died for you. I rose again. I'm the king of kings. He invites us and he commands us as well. Come to me. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 7 to 6, that, that today is the day of salvation. If you hear the word of the Lord, don't wait till tomorrow. Don't ever push it off. Every single day, 150,000 people on this planet pass into eternity. Hour after hour, people are passing into eternity. And sadly, many have not even heard yet the way of salvation, as the Lord has instructed us. Uh, they haven't heard that we can come to Christ, be made new, be redeemed, be purchased by His blood, be saved, become a new creature. Today is the day of salvation. And uh, we also read in Hebrews 4, 7 to 6, 16, we don't have time to read it now, but I would encourage you today, sometime during this Lord's Day, go and read Hebrews chapter 4, what it means to enter into the rest of God, that Sabbath rest. But this is the beautiful reality that when we are saved, when we are born from above, we enter into a Sabbath rest. Your body may be falling apart. You may be withering. You may be tired, emotionally consumed. But within, day by day, you're being renewed. That's the beautiful news of the gospel. You can be dying. You can be falling completely apart. And within, be new. Have peace. Have joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's a taste. And every Lord's Day, I would argue also, is a taste of what is to come. This gift from God to us to enjoy rest is a taste of the true rest we'll have at His return. For eternity. That never-ending rest. The opposite of what the evil person, the wicked person, condemned to hell will experience. Unrest for eternity. We're going to have true rest. Abundant rest. Full rest. Unending rest for eternity. That should get you excited. If you're feeling down, if you're feeling overwhelmed today, put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on that rest that is now yours and will be forever more and more. Enjoy rest. So the question to ask yourself is, am I saved? Have I ceased trying to save myself? Have I abandoned myself into the hands of the Lord Jesus who did purchase my salvation? Have I trusted fully in Him? Is He my Lord? Have you come to Him for true rest today? Two extremes to avoid when enjoying the rest. Don't become legalist on the Lord's day when you take a Sabbath rest. Don't get all legalist. Don't calculate all these things you can and cannot do. Remember, it's a gift. But the other extreme is people often nowadays ignore the Sabbath rest. We've taken the other extreme. At this time, the people were, were t buried with rules and regulations how to properly observe the Sabbath rest. In our day, we forget it's even a command of God to enjoy Sabbath rest. And uh, so as soon as church is done, we run to watch a football game. Maybe it's okay. Maybe you could do something even better. Maybe uh, the Lord would have you spend some time reading a quality book. Maybe the Lord would have you uh, serve somebody. Maybe he would have you enjoy fellowship. Back when they used to let us gather for lunch and meals uh, after the Lord's, uh, after, after worship. Uh, but maybe you would enjoy fellowship. Maybe you, would, you could pray. Maybe you could take a walk in nature and reflect on God's creation, reflect on his faithfulness, uh, and, and find new ways to trust him truly with your provisions, with your life, with what you need. Um, those are ways we could receive and maximize this, day, this weekly day of rest that God gives us. Some things to consider. Uh, but don't become legalist. Don't ignore it either. Seek out God. How can I maximize this gift you're giving me? How can I really receive all you would have me take from you today, Lord, uh, on this day? Moving along now in our second part of the passage, he entered the synagogue. We have another episode, a different Sabbath day. And a man was there with a withered hand. So in this passage now, we see Jesus living out a Sabbath day the way it was intended by God to be done. He sees this man with a withered hand, 
And then we read in verse 2, they watched Jesus. He's under observation again. He's under observation again. He's being observed. And they wanted to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him, we read. He says to the man with the withered hand, come here. You can imagine being the man with the withered hand. You, you probably don't want attention. You're probably nervous. What, what did I do? You know, what, what's going to happen now? He's calling me out. And uh, he says, come here. He's got his attention. Or maybe the man is hopeful. Maybe he's thinking, this, this could be my moment. I heard this guy can heal people. This might be a great thing. In any case, uh, he says to the man, come here. And then he says to them, Jesus, the word made flesh in their midst. He says to them, those accusing him, those watching and observing him sinfully, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? They went silent. You have to wonder why. Why did they go silent? It's possible because perhaps in their heart at that moment, they were so outraged at this man, what he's doing, so jealous of his ability to communicate with authority, his ability to have, be Lord over all, to change people's physical conditions even. Already in their hearts, they're probably plotting and, and despising this man. And Jesus knows hearts. He can see things we can't. He sees to the heart. He knows what they're thinking. He asks the question, they go silent. And this is fascinating. In verse 5, he didn't, he didn't even respond to them. He didn't say anything to them. Sometimes it is better when accused to remain quiet. Sometimes silence actually speaks more than words. Something for us to consider. He looked around at them. So he didn't speak to them. He just looked around at them. You can imagine the eyes of the living God gazing on the eyes of man, sinful man. He sees to their heart. He sees their soul. And he looks at them with anger, a righteous anger. He's grieved at their hardness of heart. And the reality is, every man, every woman, every person who has not been born again has a heart of stone, as we read in Ezekiel. Their hearts are hard. Our hearts become soft through the sovereign work of God when He regenerates us, makes us new, puts a new heart within us, a heart of flesh, a heart that beats. He makes us alive. We say in Italian, vivifica. He, he makes us come to life. He gives us a heart of flesh. But he was grieved at the hardness of heart. And he said to the man, he didn't say to them, he said to the man, and I believe here this is, a, this is a, another speech act of God. Perhaps the man had faith and he acted on it and that's why he got healed. Likely though, it seems to me, God, just as he spoke the world into being and he spoke and called his disciples to him, follow me, and they came. He says to this man, stretch out your hand. I take this as a speech act of God. He said it, and the man could do nothing but take his withered hand, and it just extended. It came out. God spoke this reality into being. Whether he wanted it or not, this man, it happened to the glory of God. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. A miracle just happened. And in this miracle, not only was the man made well, but as often is the case with the miracles of Jesus Christ, it affirmed, this is God in our midst. No ordinary man can do these things. No ordinary man can speak to a hand and make it well, can change the physical reality of a person. A miracle. It proved his lordship. It proved he is, as he said, 
Lord of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is a gift to you, to me, for us. Sadly, the Pharisees that we read here, they went out immediately and took counsel with the Herodians against him. These two people, the Pharisees, these two groups, Pharisees and the Herodians, enemies. They would never be together. They want anything to do with each other. They despise each other. The two enemies now become friends because they have a common objective. What is it? How to destroy Jesus Christ. How to destroy him. Our second exhortation as we close out today, I'll read these off. Our second exhortation, uh, be rightly troubled. Be rightly troubled. And for us uh, as Christians, if we've been walking with the Lord and we, ha- we have a culture of, of evangelicalism, we, we think it's wrong to be troubled often. We should always be perfectly peaceful is what we're taught and what we're ta- what's said to us and what we think. But in reality, we do have peace. We should be more at peace. We should be more trusting in Christ. But we should also more be troubled. Certain things should trouble you. And I would argue if they don't trouble you, there might be something wrong with you within. Things troubled Jesus Christ. Things troubled him. He was troubled here for the lostness of the people, for the hardness of their hearts. And yet he's the sovereign one over hearts. He's the one who changes hearts. But he's very much man, truly man, truly God. And he saw the condition of heart and it, of, heart of man and it troubled him greatly. The Pharisees here, they were not happy for a healed man. They should have been happy. Someone's suffering was just made well, was just relieved of a pain. Imagine if all of a sudden Mike's crutch no longer was needed. Throw it out the window, now he's jumping for joy. His knee works better than before. We should be happy if something like that happens. Or if my back could help me you know, move the right way, I, I would be happy. I, I hope you would be happy too. Uh, I wouldn't be kind of half hunched over today. But... Uh, They were not happy at the the reality of this man made well. Instead, they wanted to destroy Jesus Christ. This reality troubled Jesus. What troubles and worries your soul today? Something to reflect upon. What is troubling your soul today? What kind of things are troubling your soul? Are you troubled for the things that trouble Jesus Christ? Do those things bother you? Things like sin either yours or other people's sin, does that trouble you? It should trouble you. The lost people that surround you, their condition, whether they're happy or sad, the fact that they're day by day getting closer to an eternity of restlessness, torment, does that trouble you? If you're like me, too often we forget that reality and we just become indifferent. I'm convinced it's the plague of the land, the real plague of the land here in Italy, indifference to the things of God. No one cares anymore. And it can affect the missionaries as well. We labor in the trenches here. We preach day in and day out. And people just remain indifferent. And we start to become tempted to be indifferent as well. Uh, Whatever happens, happens. Uh, No, it's wrong. We should repent of that. We should be troubled for the lost people around us. Don't become indifferent. Are you troubled for the self-righteous people that fancy themselves to be something uh, pleasing to God when they're not even saved? That should trouble you. The fallen world around you, its ideologies, as we talked about briefly this morning, uh, the crazy radical agendas, that should trouble you. A fallen world, everybody making God in their own image, making the state into their God. Transhumanism is now a thing, trying to make man into this ultimate being, putting chips in him and so on so he can live forever. 
and never bowing to the one who does live forever, Christ. Never bowing to the King of Kings, the one who gives life and takes it. We should be troubled that false preachers lead people astray week after week, pumping them with things that sound nice and with enthusiastic preachers who go astray and don't comprehend the Word of God at all. Some aren't even saved. These kind of things should trouble us like they troubled Jesus. Uh, another exhortation for us today as we close. Um, decide what will you do with the true Jesus, with God. What will you do with the true Jesus? Well, all of us in our life have to come to a decision. What are we going to do with this man? And uh, we need to either worship him or eliminate him. There is no middle ground, really. If you're, for, you're either for me or against me, Jesus said. It's, it's that simple. There is no middle ground. There's no neutrality with Jesus. You either love him for who he is and you worship him for who he is, or you hate him for who he is and you try to eliminate him in one way or another. These here didn't accept him for who Jesus was. They didn't accept him as the Messiah, their Messiah, their Savior. They didn't accept him as God in the flesh, the Word made flesh. Rather than worship him, they sought to eliminate him. And often that's what self-righteous people do. They want to eliminate Jesus. And the reality is, though, all non-believers were enemies, are enemies of God. Uh, we don't accept Jesus for who he really is. It's true for many of us today, many people, not here, but people in general. And then on the other extreme today, uh, when it comes to Jesus and what we do with him, many fashion Jesus Christ into their own image. And what we mean by this is they have an idea of Jesus that is one way. And so when Jesus says things like in his parables, bring that person here who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slice them up and slaughter them. They don't know what to do with verses like that because the God, of their, the God they worship is a God of their own imagination. It's not the biblical Jesus. They take verses here. They take verses there from the Bible. They paint a pretty, pic, a pretty picture of Jesus, who they want him to be, how they want him to be. And then when you teach on the, the whole counsel of God, the sovereignty of God, the God who predestines, the God who knows all things, never learns a new thing, they become troubled in soul. They can't bow their knee to a God like that. I've heard people say it. I could never worship a God like that. That's the God of the Bible. So what you're saying, what you're revealing is the God you worship is a God of your own imagination. It happens. We all need to be careful with that. What will we do with the true Jesus, the sovereign Lord, the King of kings, the one who reigns over all, is the Jesus you worship the God of the Bible? Do you know him, really? Have you accepted Christ for who he really is? Do you love the true Jesus, or do you want to eliminate him any way you can? We're either for Jesus or we're against him. There is no middle ground. And the last thing as we close today is I want us to remember that you are observed. This is the title for the message today. Rest, you are observed. Remember that you're observed. And this is two, uh, two things to it that go together. Uh, it's, uh, if you claim faith in Jesus Christ, you need to remember you are observed. People are watching you. Sin lovers, wicked people, are wanting, praying in a sense, that you will fail that you'll fall into sin, that you'll live like a hypocrite, because when you do that, every time a Christian does that, gives them more confidence to continue on in their sin, happy and peaceful, 
resting in their sin, content with their sin. People are watching you. They want you to fail. They want you to sin. But the Lord calls us, as you read in Colossians 1.10, to walk worthy of the call. We're called to that. It's a high calling. To seek the Lord, seek His strength, to walk worthy, to decide the right things, to honor God in all areas of life, even when it costs us our life, our comfort, our convenience. And as time goes on, more and more with what's happening now, we need to be prepared in our hearts. We need to be decided now in our hearts to obey Christ no matter the cost. The other part of this, though, remembering that you observed, is the, is the good news. I, I want us to know, all of us, that God observes you today as well. Jesus observes you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the challenges you face. He knows where you're at, but he's with you. He saw you when you were still in your sinful state, dead in your sins, an enemy of God. He saw you then, and he came, and he lived for you and then died for you on the cross. And when you were in that actual sin still, he came to you personally through his spirit, transformed your heart, made you new if you have bowed the knee to him. That means he came to you. And he observes you today. He intercedes for you today. What a blessed thing to remember. Jesus Christ, he's interceding. He's alive, interceding for his elect. You may feel you can't do it. It's overwhelming. All the decisions that need to be made, the places to go, the things to do, the complications, the complexities of this life and the pandemic and everything else. Rest assured, Jesus is interceding for you. That'll wake you up in the morning. And that'll make you sleep well at night. Even if you're falling off the bed and your head is on the, the nightstand. That'll make you still sleep well. He's interceding for you. How is your walk today? A question of reflection. How is your walk? We're all in a pressured and isolated time right now. Like in a pressure cooker. Things are hot. Things are challenging. It's a difficult time with the lockdown and all this other stuff. But how is your walk? How is your faith? Are you coming regularly, regularly to the source, to Christ himself, in his word, in prayer, among the people of God? All the graces he's given us, are you coming? Keep coming. Are you walking as a free person? You're free. You're delivered. Even though you have restrictions, are you still walking as you should? You're free. You may be locked down, so to speak. You may be not able to do half of what you want. But if you have that Sabbath rest within you're truly free. Remember it. Walk in the truth of that. You're free. You can still have a little bounce in your step, even if you can't step far from, from your house. <laughs> you can still bounce around your house a little bit. You can have that extra step. And that's my exhortation for us today, that we would walk in that reality. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you continue to revive our souls day after day and how we really, really need it, Lord. We are... We are fatigued. It's the reality. We're emotionally fatigued, physically fatigued, battered down. This pandemic stuff has been going on a long time. All the nonsense going on in the world is discouraging. But we, you remind us today, Lord, that we have a Sabbath rest. Why do we have it? Because as we read in Psalm 22 earlier this morning, because you were nailed to a cross in our place, and they were observing you there in the Italian language we read the word is osservato, observe. They were observing you on that cross. Your bones were visible. Blood was all over the place. You were ripped. Your skin was ripped off your body. You were unrecognizable in terrible pain, terrible anguish. 
for us. You had no rest on that cross. Every breath was fatiguing until you drew your last breath, Jesus. But you did it for us when we were still sinners, when we were still dead in our sins. And how much that humbles us, Lord, how much that makes us want to love you, to live for you every day that we can. We have true rest in you. And if there's anybody here today that has not truly come to you, experienced that true rest, experienced what it means to be born anew, saved, I pray you would work in their hearts today to that end. Such a wonderful thing it is, Lord, to walk hand in hand with you, have that rest no matter the circumstances, and to know for eternity we will be with you enjoying that rest. So we pray, Lord, help us to remember this this week. Help us to walk in this truth and walk worthy of the call. Troubled about the things that troubled you, but full of faith, full of hope, knowing we have true rest. You paid it all, Jesus, and you love us truly and deeply. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The PMC Media Ministry exists to incorporate Christians into the Lord's mission of evangelism, discipleship, and church planning in Italy so others can flourish in Jesus' global mission whether they go or they stay. Thank you for being a part of the ministry. To learn more about what we do and how you can be involved, visit practicalmissions.org. If you like the podcast, we encourage you now to come on over and join us on the inside. If you love Jesus Christ, you love this podcast, you love the Italian people, you love the church of Jesus Christ, it's the perfect place for you to meet other people and uh, see and understand more about the Italian culture and what is going on with Practical Missions Cohort in the Italian context. Look forward to seeing you over there. God bless.